Well, good morning, Grace. I am uh, Elder James Schaefer. I'm one of the seven elders. We call ourselves the seven dwarves. And guess who is sneezy among us? Where is Elder Dennis? So you heard his voice. God bless him. He is trying and working hard for ministry. I love that heart of his. So I want to let you know how exciting it was this last Friday. We had a tremendous turnout for the Love Like Christ Dessert Fellowship, exotic French and Polynesian and other places in the world, desserts, amazing, amazing in itself. And then the conversation and tremendous leadership by the Elliots. We're blessed. We're looking forward to that next quarter that we're going to do, the next Dessert Fellowship, Love Like Christ. And then, as already mentioned, next Sunday is Mission Sunday. Beginning at 845 Sunday School, we urge you, we encourage you, please come, bring your little ones, your families. There will be child care. There will be light refreshments or light breakfast items, starting with nine exciting speakers at 845 Sunday School right over here. And then... At 10, we'll have the keynote speech or this message by Dave Giles, the director of Encompass World Partners, our mission organization around the world. And then we'll have potluck lunch and then a panel, all starting in the morning. So please, please make a special effort. 845 Sunday School, we are going to have a tremendous turnout, the tremendous speakers beginning at Sunday School. So I want to let you know this is the last in the Hope series. The last in the Hope series, begun by Elder George Hornicle back September 4th. Now, I want you to hear, for those who are listening elsewhere, I did not say this is the last of hope. I don't want you going home and saying, honey, don't put any more money in the offering because the elder said there's no more hope. No, I didn't say that. This is our series where next Sunday, as we said, Mission Sunday, and I want you to turn with me in your Bible to the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 5, the coming of the Lord, hope in the coming of Christ, the coming of the Lord. Literally, the word coming of the Lord means arrival, his arrival for those longing for hope. For those who want holiness in this perverse, I don't think I need to say that again, this hopeless world. You know, Thessalonians lists many warnings of the imminent coming of the Lord to this hopeless world so that people can hope in Christ now. Hope, as Elder Barry shared recently, hope is not just a wish or a great dream, or a great desire. It is confidence that God will do as he says. It is a sure hope that God will come again. But I ask you, what about those? What about those who have lost hope? What about some even here who do not have hope, or someone you know? What about you? Would you like to renew your hope in Jesus Christ? Would you do that today? We're hoping and we're praying with you. You'll do that in this service. And at the end of the service, when we have a special time of prayer, 
but we want you to turn, and I urge you, I call, please, give your hearts to Jesus Christ. The term is in the scripture, repent, which means turn to Jesus Christ, who is the one who forgives sin, and any, anyone can come. We can, I want to say first off, we can, yes, we can escape this hopeless world. And this is not the time to panic. This is time to renew our hope in Jesus Christ in light of his return. And so the purpose of the book, and I say the books of Thessalonians, First and Second Thessalonians, is hope by knowing and by doing God's will. And Thessalonians links, as the scripture does, hope directly to God and directly to his will. So I ask you a question. What is his will? Look with me in chapter 4, beginning verses 1 through 3. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God. What is the will of God? Sanctification, your sanctification, literally your holiness. What does holy mean? Well, the term comes up in Scripture repeatedly as the chief characteristic of God. He is holy. But did you know that it also, in the biblical definition, is our requirement, human requirement to be holy. Now, the definition of holy is not perfect, is not perfection. That is the word completion or teleos in the Scripture. But the word holy means to be distinct, different, set apart, other. You know, God is other in that he is above all else in purity. We sang about it. Praise God for a team of musicians and how to put those in words. We sang about God being other in purity, in love, forgiveness, righteousness, but people as well can be holy. Not perfect, but being distinct, set apart, other. And holy is this, friends. Holy is being marked, being willing, being noted as belonging to God. Lord, I belong to you. That is what is the practical outworking of being holy. Any lifestyle, any corruption, any sin, any evil, any vileness, any laziness can be changed to be holy if that person, if we are willing to belong to God. And so a fair question is, are we willing? Now, there are two aspects of holiness, two aspects that we must recognize. And first of all, it begins with, it must start with our position of receiving the forgiveness of Christ, the position of holiness, receiving his forgiveness for sin, being placed in his family, being called a holy people. He says that when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior. And 
He places us in a position. We are positionally holy before God. Nothing will change that. Nothing will abrogate that. Nothing we do can break his commitment to being in, placing us in the position of being holy when we receive Jesus Christ. This is because no one, he will never leave or forsake us. But I want to ask you, if you haven't received that forgiveness, receive that now. Place your hearts and belong in Jesus Christ. The second aspect of being holy is the practice. This is the rub. The practice of being holy, of living distinctly, living set apart, being reserved, being devoted, saying, and people knowing, I, you, belong to God. Are we willing to belong to God, to be his woman, to be his man, to be his girl, to be his boy? Anyone can be, anyone will be changed when they belong to Jesus Christ. When we give up the independent control of this life and give it to belong to him. This is what it is to be practicing holiness. You know, when we belong to him and we belong and place our lives in Jesus Christ, everything changes we are now walking in a manner that is holy. You know, when people belong to Christ, they experience, experience holiness and experience hope. But what about, what does practicing holiness have to do with hope in the return of Christ, in the coming of the Lord? Friends, we need hope in this vacuous and this hopeless world. We need hope in our lives. On one hand, we have hope because of the position of Jesus Christ that he's given us. And that won't change. And we can say, yay. But on the other hand, we don't always experience hope because we don't always practice God's will, holiness. That is, we don't act like we belong to Christ sometimes. Again, the purpose of Thessalonians is hope by knowing and doing God's will. And there are two actions that provide hope. Holy living God's will and holy waiting for God's will. Those two alone, those two actions. Holy living God's will is in chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. If you look and you mark it in your scriptures. And that is living by protecting our lives in light of the coming of the Lord. Holy waiting for God's will. Chapter 4, verse 13, through the end of chapter 5, is preparing, preparing our lives for the coming of the Lord. So how do we practice holy living? By protecting our heart, our body, and our mind. Look at chapter 4, verse 3 again. For this is God's will for you, your sanctification. God's will is protecting our heart that belongs to him. Holy living is protecting our heart by three areas. One, dwelling, living, flourishing, thriving with Jesus Christ, dwelling with Christ. Paul said in Ephesians 3 that Christ 
may dwell in your heart by faith. But this means that this action changes our hope. Living with Christ, dwelling with Him, enjoying time with Him, spending time with Him, dwelling with Christ. But you know what happens when we dwell or we live or we act as though we're spending time with the world? As this world experiences, we lose hope. The second area is guarding our hearts for Christ. Guard your heart, Proverbs 4 says, with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. God's will is to guard our hearts, protect it from evil viewing, protect it from evil listening, protect it from evil experiences. Did you know that even the scripture says in Ephesians 4, do not even talk about the things that are spoken of in darkness. Don't even talk about it. And so much of social media talks about darkness. The third area is measuring, measuring our hearts for Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God's will is to measure treasure. The measure what we treasure in Jesus Christ. To literally measure and look at what we treasure. You know, we can count up the time that we spend with him versus other areas. We can count up the time that we talk to him versus talking to others. We can literally measure the treasure. But the question I want to ask, are we practicing holy living by protecting our hearts as a passion? Or is it just a pastime? Let's move on, look at chapter 4, verse 3 again. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. When we think about it, God's will is to protect not just the soul, but to protect the body. You know, it's been said, people say, well, the soul belongs to God, but the body, that's mine. I control my body. I have authority over my body. As we look through the scripture, it's interesting that the terms soul, body, spirit are used interchangeably. Why? Because God owns, God wants to control for good all of that, including the body. That's why in the scripture, murder, abortion, immorality kills what belongs to God. Friends, we can't separate what the soul experiences if the body is practicing otherwise. Any practice that destroys the soul destroys the body and destroys hope. So why should we even protect the body? There are two reasons. One I already mentioned, but one is that God, the body belongs to God. The physical body belongs to him. 1 Corinthians 3 says, don't you know that you yourselves, that is you, your body, is God's temple? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for you are that temple. 
So we understand. God says, I place my love, my spirit, my forgiveness. I have now placed you in the position of holiness. Will you practice holiness? That's why he places the Holy Spirit for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Anyone. There's a second reason why we protect the body. And this may be a little bit dicey, but the body belongs to your spouse. Belongs to your future spouse. If you ever would have a future spouse. Or belongs to nobody other than the Lord. You see, the body belongs to our spouse or future spouse. And that's why the apostle said in chapter 4, verse 4, learn to control. The word literally is keep. Keep your body. Hope is linked to protecting bodies for the spouse, for the future spouse, watching pornography, fantasies, flirting, Sexual interest gives away not just the mind, not just a few megabytes. It gives away the body to someone who we should not even touch, know, or have any communication with. And it destroys hope. Marriages and future relationships hurt when we don't protect and give our lives to our spouse. I say this openly and I say this clearly. I am glad I belong to Elizabeth. 1 Corinthians 7 says I do, literally. And I want to say as well, if not, my life would be poor, would be hopeless, and frankly, it would be Christless because I would not be experiencing holiness or hope. I want us to think about this, and this is an assignment Write it down or say it in your heart or say it someday soon. Say it to your spouse. Say it to your future spouse. Or say it to the Lord. I belong to you. I belong to you. Look further to chapter 4, verse 6, about holy living and God's will. Beginning verse four, chapter, chapter 4, verse 6. That no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand, and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit. Holy living also means protecting the mind. Protecting that which belongs to him, the mind. Practicing placing our minds on him. And we practice holiness. We draw closer to the Lord every time we think and pray and call on him. That is experiencing holiness. And our hope increases. But whenever we think or we disregard thinking about the Lord or thinking about him, then our minds think on ourselves and it leads to thoughts of greed, leads to taking, thoughts of taking advantage, lust. You know, sexual immorality is not just dabbling in these titillating information pieces. It is actual fraud. It is actual theft. It is actual stealing. 
Because it begins with the mind by taking what is not ours. And I say this clearly, and the Scripture says it, not because I say it, whether that person is saved or unsaved. God says, He will punish. And we're experiencing, we're seeing this in the lives of many who call upon the Lord or say they do. God does not want us to defraud. So let me review first off about Thessalonians. The first aspect about listening to and preparing for the coming of the Lord is holy living God's will, protecting heart, body, mind because of the coming of the Lord. And we experience, we grow, we find more hope. The second aspect of Thessalonians is holy waiting for God's will. Chapter 4, verse 13 through the end of chapter 5. And it's preparing us, preparing you for the coming of the Lord. And yes, preparing even this world for the coming of the Lord. There is hope in preparation. But there's two aspects of preparation. The first one is encouragement in preparation. Chapter 4, 13. And then the second is excitement in preparation. Chapter 5, verse 4 and forward. Holy waiting is not sitting around and just waiting for something to happen. Not waiting for the coming of the Lord. It is not sitting around. It is active encouragement, the scripture says. And it's interesting. It says for all people because of the coming of the Lord. And so friends, we need to prepare for the, to encourage ourselves and encourage this world because of the coming of the Lord. I'm not giving you just this glass half full positivity about the coming events but I am saying to you because God says it the coming of the Lord encourages one another encourages people as we prepare this I want to share with you therefore a list of encouragement that the scripture the scripture gives by holy waiting for the coming of the Lord first off the coming of the Lord encourages because it is clear public knowledge. Clear public knowledge. Four, chapter 4, verse 13. The verse part. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. That is, we do not want you to feel like there's no information. The coming of the Lord is clear throughout the Scripture. It is not occult. It is not a Christian cult. It is not a dark secret. And it is not a government secret. The coming of the Lord is clear, crystal clear, for not only those who say they understand the Scripture, but for all people who throughout time have recognized that there is going to be a coming of God to this world. The coming of the Lord, friends, is clear not only to Christians, but to people who don't know the Lord because they want to see that there is hope for this world. Second, the coming of the Lord encourages because it consoles that there is life after life. The second part of verse 13, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who sleep. Death is not annihilation. Death is not final. Death is temporary sleep. 
until we wake to face God, until those who have given their hearts to Jesus Christ face him and receive eternal life, or those who have not received him also live and stand before God in judgment. Next, the coming of the Lord encourages because it corrects fake grief. The third part of verse 13, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. You know, this world grieves because they don't know about Christ. They don't know about heaven. They have no assurance of heaven. We got that. But the world also practices fake grief. That is, they only want or they do want this world and this life to last forever. They want things to matter. They want things to last. But when it comes either to death or when it comes to counting this life, they only count the ephemeral. They only count the temporary things. People long to live forever. People want things to matter forever. But this world... And even some Christians only talk about what's temporary in this world, only talk about that which is ephemeral. And sometimes in obituaries, for those who say they know the Lord, they sometimes list only the accomplishments of this life rather than the accomplishment of all eternity, which is knowing Jesus Christ. And it's like they're trying to impress the dead or they're trying to impress each other. Or maybe even impress God. And so I want to ask you to think about how you express yourself in grief. And that you also confront fake grief. The coming of the Lord confronts fake grief by reminding us what is eternal. And that's what matters. And so I want you as another homework assignment. Write your obituary. Write it. But write down in your obituary your testimony. Write how you came to know Jesus Christ, how you received his forgiveness, how he gave you a new life, how he put you on a trajectory for eternal change. Write that so that your family, so your friends, and so that people who look even at your obituary know this is the eternal life that we have to look forward to. And it we recognize that the coming of the Lord corrects this fake grief. Next, the coming of the Lord encourages because it confirms that there is life after death. When Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, he confirmed that there is life after death. Not only does the historic record show through witnesses, not just religious witnesses, but secular witnesses, that there really was a resurrection. So we also know that there is life after death. The coming of the Lord encourages because it confirms life after death. Next, the coming of the Lord encourages because it completes, completes prophecy. Did you know that there are 17 Old Testament books? One in 30 New Testament verses talk about the coming of the Lord. And it says in chapter 4, beginning verse 15, 
For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and left will be caught up. That's where the word rapture comes from. It really means snatching or protecting by snatching. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You know, Jesus himself, the word of the Lord himself said, if I go, if I go, I will come again and receive you to myself. The very word of the Lord himself said, I'm coming back. The coming of the Lord is coming. Next, the coming of the Lord encourages because it conceals the time and the date of his coming from false manipulation and false speculation from rumors. Matthew 24, Jesus said, no one knows. No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not the angels or the Son himself, only the Father. The coming of the Lord encourages because this that is so often manipulated in writings, in speculation, in things we hear all the time. But the Lord says, no, I'm concealing this. And that is how I protect you and encourage you because I am coming again and I will do it. And I will do it in a manner that is clear. And last, the coming of the Lord encourages because that countdown clock begins to tick very loud when all are saying, peace and security, peace and safety. Chapter 5, verse 3. And while people are saying there is peace and security, then the sudden destruction will come upon them as the labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Arguably, no one today reasonably believes that we're living in a time of peace and safety or peace and security. Look around us, whether they be the natural events or the events caused by human horrible error. There is no peace and safety around us. But this term, this term is one of the key countdown indicators of the coming of the Lord because at this time... Before the coming of the Lord, everyone is going to say, peace and safety, peace and safety. Whether they say that as a greeting to one another or as a political slogan, peace and safety. You know what they're really saying? We finally have peace and safety without God. We finally have it without Christ. Friends, it's not going to last It's not going to last, and it indicates the imminent coming of the Lord, initiating the period of what is the destruction called the day of the Lord. And sadly, this world, and even some who are called or calling themselves Christians, say they want world peace and safety. But without Jesus Christ, and friends, there is no hope. 
Without Jesus Christ in your life, in my life, in this world. And so there is encouragement in the coming of the Lord. Encourage yourself and one another in these matters of the coming of the Lord. There's also excitement in preparation. Excitement, and I'll just go over these briefly, chapter 5, verse 4 and on. First of all, the surprise will be eliminated. We will not be taken by surprise by the coming of the Lord. Why? We already said it. The Scripture said it. It's clear. It's crystal clear. He's coming. He is coming. There's no surprise to this world or person who may be questioning otherwise. Second, the shining is accentuated. When you encourage people in the coming of the Lord, when I speak about this, when we encourage through our contacts or just by encouraging ourselves, the surprise is, the shining is accentuated because we stand up and we shine for Jesus Christ. Third, sleeping is obliterated. You're not going to be asleep. You're awake now. You know now that He Himself is coming and that this is no longer the time for sleep. You are awake. He is now about to approach. Sobriety is militated. I didn't say militarized. That is, it is now that we are sober and we put on the armor of God. We put on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. And last and most importantly, salvation is completed. Listen carefully. Chapter 5, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not just a euphemism. This is not just a palliative word that may be just something to comfort you as you're about to die. No, He has not destined you for wrath, but for salvation, the literal salvation of the person. I want to say again, the Thessalonians is written because he is saying very clearly, this is now time for holy, holy living for Jesus Christ. This is now the time for holy waiting for the coming of the Lord. But what if Christians, what if others don't want to practice holy living, don't want to belong to the Lord, don't want to practice protecting the mind, the body, the heart. They don't want to holy, wait in holiness by preparing for Christ's return. I say to the unsaved, and you can say as well, they will live. They will stand before Christ without the forgiveness of sin. Without being in the position of forgiveness. But what about those who should be practicing holiness? To the saved, I say this, I don't say it, I'm sorry. The scripture says it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning verse 11. For no one can lay any other foundation than one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light and it will be revealed by fire. 
and fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though it is one escaping through flames or through fire. Many have asked me, maybe they've asked you, so won't Christ return anyway and take us all home anyway? I mean, just won't it, won't it just sort of happen regardless of whether I am or am not following Jesus Christ? And the scripture assures us by saying, and I want to say this because if I were making the rules, you know I would probably change it or someone else would change it. But I didn't make the rules. Jesus Christ, the scripture itself says, yes, they will be saved. Yet so is by fire. Because God will never go back on his promise. You know, when the scripture says they will be saved by fire, they could have offered up a gift to Christ, but it's going to be burned up. Friends, heaven is the free gift of eternal life, not the free get of eternal life. And so when we come to the gift of eternal life, if our works are burned up, we, they, whoever will be poor, have no gift to give. That may be an embarrassment at a birthday party to have nothing, but this may be beyond embarrassment. And there is something to say about this God who justly loves us and justly holds us accountable. Friends, that can change now. Any person saved, any person unsaved can now come, can now come to Jesus Christ and can come again to Jesus Christ and can be set apart, can belong to him in holy living, in holy waiting, in experiencing hope. And friends, I invite you, I encourage you, please come. Please, in your heart, as we said earlier, whether it be during this message or afterwards, please come to Jesus Christ. Turn to him. And I urge you, I beg you, for the sake of giving a gift for eternal life. I pray, Lord Jesus, hear this prayer. Hear this call. Hear this heart that is yours beating for us, that we in holy living desire to follow you in body, in mind, in, Lord, heart. Hear us in holy waiting as we prepare for the coming of the Lord, for it is crystal clear, not just to those who read the Bible, but to people who see something is coming. Lord, we know it's you. Hear, O Lord, our prayer. And I pray in Jesus' name. And all answer by saying, Amen.